3: This is Dragon Guy from TheDragonsOnFire.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Dragon Gal from
0: TheDragonsOnFire.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
4: Welcome to
1: What's Up Next, where your hosts,
0: Paul, David Thompson, and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to
2: financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So,
4: Paul Thompson, what's up
2: next? How does physical health impact your path to financial independence? That is the question of this episode. And we have three guests on the line today Tanya from Our Next Life, Dragon Gal, and Dragon Guy from the Dragons on So, Tanya, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your story of FI?
1: Sure. I am 39. I live in Lake Tahoe, California. My husband, Mark, is 41, almost 42, and we retired at the end of last year from careers in political consulting.
2: Perfect. And Dragon Guy and Dragon Gal, a quick intro to your blog and your story. Hi,
0: I'm Dragon Gal, and I was an educator for over 18 years, full-time, and then I quit in 2017, and I currently do Volunteer work through a cancer nonprofit that's here locally. And I also blog at thedragonsonfire.com. Mostly I write about my experience in early retirement.
3: And Dragon Guy? And I'm Dragon Guy. I've, been, I've worked in finance my entire career, uh, mostly doing budgeting and forecasting work. In 2011, at the age of 34, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, CML. I've been living with that chronic illness for seven and a half years uh, where I take pills every day and will have to take pills every day for the rest of my life. We have reached financial independence and Dragon Gal has retired. I have not because I'm still struggling with how to get comfortable with the insurance situation and in dealing with my chronic illness. I uh, write at thedragonsonfire.com where I focus on world travel, fin- finances, and my leukemia journey.
4: Well, we'd like to welcome you guys all, and I'd like to start out with Tanya. Tanya, you, Paul Thompson, and I met each other at the Camp Phi Minnesota, and you were a presenter there. When you started the conversation, I had no idea what you were going to present on, and you started to talk about the realities of financial independence versus your expectations. Tell us a little bit about that presentation.
1: Yeah. you know, I think it's so easy for people, including myself and my husband, Mark, to get caught up in magical thinking about what early retirement or financial independence will be like. And to think that when you get there, things will be perfect. You'll get to live all your dreams exactly how you've always envisioned them. And the general worries and health struggles that we all have will somehow go away. And I thought it was really important to share that for many of us, it doesn't quite go that way. And that's not to say that it's bad or that it's disappointing. And I shared a lot of the stuff in the last year of early retirement that's been wonderful for us. But I I wanted to talk about how, you know, like we specifically went after this goal to be able to do outdoor things in the mountains, especially while I'm still physically able to do them. But this year hasn't really gone that way. My um, genetic disability has progressed a fair amount to where I have more pain than I used to. And I have described this year as much more indoors focused than I had expected at the start of the year. And so, you know, like just because we are early retired, it doesn't mean that we're somehow superheroes with the ability to do everything that we want to do or to live exactly the way we want to live. And that to me was very much a reality check that even though I knew some of this stuff was on the horizon for me, I didn't expect it to happen as soon as it has.
4: So, Dragon Guy, I'd like to take this over to you a little bit. Tanya tells us a little bit about her perspectives after retirement, but you even mentioned just recently that you specifically have decided not to retire yet. Tell me how your CML affects your decision to retire.
3: Sure. So, um, I'm privileged to live in a city that has a top cancer hospital in the country and top leukemia specialists. And my current workplace insurance affords me the opportunity to go there. But as I did research on healthcare outside of the workplace, on the you know, marketplace plans, none of the pl- marketplace healthcare plans in our area cover the cancer center I go to. I was really w- left with the decision of, you know, I want to stay with the team that has taken care of me since the beginning. They know CML. They understand what to do when things don't go right. Um, they've been involved with the drugs that I'm on since the beginning. Um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, or leave them and go to another doctor who may not know as much. It's, it's pretty standard care, but if something goes wrong, they don't understand it as much, and then I'm sort of in a bind. So I'm, I've struggled mostly with just getting access to the same care that I've had if I leave my job and don't have a normal workplace insurance to cover me.
4: So Dragon Gale, when I read your guy's blog, I kind of understood that it was you who first got the financial independence bug. When you brought this to Dragon Guy and said, I discovered this wonderful thing, you know, financial independence is where it's at. And you told Dragon Guy, what did Dragon Guy say? Did he look at you and say, Hey, I've got CML. We we can't talk about retirement
0: so i knew even before i came to him that um he would need like a plan from my point of view um so he's he's the finance man in the family so um i needed to look like I'd done a little research, like I kind of knew what I was talking about. So so I read through um, Money, Mr. Money Mustache's blog as much as I could and try to understand as much as I could um, and just came to him with this idea. I, you know, uh, sent him a bunch of links, like look what I found and, you know, he was on board. So when I came to him, he and I just started down this path of really looking at our numbers. We crunched our numbers. He made a bunch of spreadsheets and models and we discovered we were financially independent. We didn't know that beforehand. So that was actually a very eye-opening moment for the both of us, Um, for us to know that, you know, outside of his chronic condition, we we could both retire. But right now the situation with him is we don't know how he can access his, his current doctor.
4: So, Tanya, I wanted to throw it back to you for a moment. I find it really interesting that for Dragon Guy and Dragon Gal, the chronic health issues made them feel that they couldn't leave their current occupations, or at least Dragon Guy couldn't leave his occupation. Yet, to me, from reading your blog, Tanya, it seems like that was a big impetus for you actually to retire early.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I think if, if I had something chronic, like chronic cancer or leukemia, I, th- I think it might be a different decision because once you've got tagged with that as a pre- pre-existing condition, it's a much tougher road in the insurance world. But for me, you know, my My condition is called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS for short, and it's essentially a connective tissue disease that affects a lot of different body systems. The good thing for me is that most of the care is about management, and it's, it's not medication, it's not surgery, because both of those actually have bad outcomes. So it's a lot of physical therapy. It's talking to people about some different medications in certain cases, but they tend to be cheaper, older, generic drugs. So a lot of the stuff, I do need a lot of care, but it's not really expensive, acute, you know, kind of research, uh, cutting edge care that, that tends to be much pricier. But for me, because my condition is progressive and I've watched a lot of it affect my dad, it's very much a ticking clock for me. So it's not something that I can ever keep stable for a long period. It's always going to get worse. My mobility is going to get worse over time. My pain is going to get worse. And knowing that I just couldn't gamble with the idea that I'd spend all of my able-bodied years and relatively pain-free years at the office or at, at a desk or traveling for work or doing all the stuff that I used to do that really exacerbated things because the stress of it made it worse. So yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's a really hard decision to make and everybody's got to look at their own situation. I mean, in my case, like there aren't actually any doctors who specialize in my condition. So it's less of an issue of who's in network. I wish there were some doctors, but, but they just kind of don't exist. So it's, it's less of a concern of, of needing to stay at work for the coverage and, and more about trying to maximize my quality of life while I still can.
4: Do you feel trepidation about traveling? With this disease, or have you felt the trepidation? You guys moved to Lake Tahoe. Were you concerned that you would find a doctor, be comfortable with them, and then have to leave them, or have a crisis out of state or out of country, and not have the doctors around you who could manage it?
1: It's a good question. I, I think the nature of EDS is that the the crises tend to be pain related or mobility related, and and the cures for that are very uh, old school. You know, it's like. Okay, you don't walk around for a few days or you have to take more pain meds than maybe you want to take, which I generally try to avoid. Not really, you know, my concern with travel is more that I might go somewhere and waste a week because I I don't feel good and can't really move around and see the place, but that again is an argument for retiring early where we can take a trip for a month to a place instead of a week, which was kind of our limit before while we were working. And so, yeah, the the question of doctors is is a tough one, but again, you know, like this sounds so so cynical, but really I've never felt like I had a great team of doctors anywhere. And so the thought of leaving them was was less disruptive. I, th- I think if anything now, I have probably the best team I've ever had of doctors in Reno, which is about a half hour away from us. And the, you know they, they can't do a whole lot for me, but I at least feel listened to, which I think folks who've had chronic health conditions understand feels like a very big deal all on its own.
4: So Dragon Guy, it seems like your situation is a little different, that you do seem to have a team behind you that you feel real comfortable with. Do you feel stress about traveling? I see as part of your website, that's a big part of what you guys are interested in. Do you ever worry that you're going to find yourself in a foreign country or in another state, have some type of crisis and not have the help you need?
3: No, I've actually really never worried about that. I think my biggest fear when I travel is I don't have my drugs with me, but that, aside from my passport, is, you know, one of the top two things I just look at when I pack. I think I've learned enough about the, you know, the the leukemia to just understand the things that could go wrong, and if they do, I just need to be on top of things, but it's never, it hasn't slowed us down. I mean, we were on a airplane six weeks after I was diagnosed, and, you know, pretty much haven't missed a beat in our travels, and I don't, I don't see it slowing us down as long as I feel the way I do, which hasn't been an issue.
4: I want to transition a little bit and and move over to Dragon Gal. You wrote a post called Love in Sickness. And I think it was very, very well received and very well written. And at the end, you talk a little bit about not knowing. So to give you some background, Dragon Guy, I believe it was close to his diagnosis. He had a bone marrow biopsy. It had caused a lot of bleeding. You had to rush him to the hospital. Scary moments, I imagine. When I look at your website, you talk about moving towards health, both fiscally and physically. And that post made me think a lot about the unknown. So I know this is a tough question. What scares you more, the unknown about your fiscal health or the unknown, unknowns about your physical health?
0: That's such a great question. You know... In the past, it, you know, when when D guy was first diagnosed, of course, it was our physical health. You know, that when uh, during his initial diagnosis, there there was a lot we didn't know. You know, I think it, we were just in survival mode for a couple of years. You know, trying to understand how his body was reacting to the medication. Um, he was very fatigued the first I want to say month or something as his body got kind of used to the drug. We have always done well financially. We always lived well below our means. You know, I was certainly never um, bringing in the, the big bucks as an educator, but we always lived very far below our means. And we always, um, you know, felt pretty secure financially. I think the big question for us now is what happens if Dragon Guy um, wants to retire early like me? You know what is he going to do? You know, um, there was one plan that we came across um, that he could get on to get access to the cancer hospital that he's currently at, but it's like a fifteen thousand dollar deductible, and that's not even including the premiums. So I think I think it's become a little bit more complicated as we talk about early retirement as to what is more uh, concerning, and uh, additionally. Um, Dragon guy is potentially getting off his medication and I'll let him talk more about that. And that's exciting news, but that also kind of complicates things.
4: Yeah, I I saw you guys write a little bit about that. And the fact is getting off your medication, dragon guy, could actually lead to more expenses in the future and could actually... Worry you more about your financial independence plan than actually being in the middle of active treatment. Talk about that a little bit
3: Yeah, so currently my I'm tested through blood tests twice a year and and if I stay on my drug um, I pretty much would just need blood work twice a year where they test for the CML if I go on a cessation protocol, which they're relatively new But if I go on one of those protocols, I need to get tested every other month So six times a year for the first two years And then I believe in years three and four would be every three months and so on. If I just look at the math right now with my insurance, I pretty much pay a doctor's visit. I don't have to pay. All the lab work is considered diagnostic and I'll pay for it. But if I look at, you know, the plans, the marketplace plans, all of that, all of those tests would cost me money. And each one is maybe $2,500 a pop. So stay on the drug, get the test twice a year for $5,000 or go off the drug and have them six times a year for $15,000 plus the premiums and all that. So that's the latest math that I've been really working through um, to figure out what to do. Now, on the flip side, if I stay on the drug, I still have to pay for the drug itself, which I don't pay for much now. I'm on a copay assistance card where I pay $10 a month. That would pay for some of it on the, on the you know, exchange plans, but I'd essentially be paying my out-of-pocket maximum. So either way, it's a lot of money, but it's more money to go off the drug and have the frequent testing than it is to stay on the drug and still pay for the drugs. So it's a little bit backwards, but on the flip side too is you don't know longer term what these drugs will do. Uh, They were only FDA approved about 10 years ago, and we don't have a lot of history on how people handle them 20, 30 years down the road. So the idea of taking a drug for, for that long, you know, with unknowns of how my buyer is going to handle it, that, that's, you know, that's a big concern. So I, if I can make it work, I definitely do want to get off the drug. But obviously, I need to think more about the financial impacts if I, you know, decide to retire early.
4: Yeah, I'm taken with both of your stories about the unknowns. It seems like in financial independence we struggle with the unknowns things like sequence of returns risk etc but most of those we can mathematically model whereas when it comes to health it's really hard to mathematically model what you're going to need in the future dragon gal in her writing at one point in one of her blog posts said i always knew that dragon guy was going to get cancer she said he had other family members who had gotten cancer and she expected that to happen. And I imagine, Tanya, from your writings too, it's clear that this was on your radar too because of your dad. So I wanna talk a little bit about your dad and this concept of powerlessness, but I was gonna go about it in a little bit of a roundabout way. I think the cynical people in our community, Tanya, would have said to you, you knew that this disability could happen you were working why not just continue working and assume that you'll take disability at some point and still be collecting wages
1: yeah i mean that would probably have been an option it's it's what ended up happening to my dad except he didn't get the benefit of of knowing that it could happen and and there's even a worse detail about it that he was actually laid off the day before the Americans with Disabilities Act took effect so that his company wouldn't have to wouldn't wouldn't have to accommodate his needs And witnessing that, that all happened when I was in middle school and seeing how that affected him, seeing how he felt like the world had kind of rejected him in a way. That was not something I wanted to repeat. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to work most likely until 65, like we're all expected to, but I didn't want it to feel like it was on somebody else's terms. I wanted it to feel like it was on my terms. And frankly, I also wanted to have just a different level of comfort than you can have with taking social security disability or even long-term disability insurance. Those do not give you uh, a ton of money to work with. And we wanted to have something a little bit more comfortable and secure. I also just felt like knowing that we had had good jobs, knowing that we could save, I didn't want to take money out of the system that could go to people who were genuinely in need. And so it was it was really a combo of all those things. But I mean, the truth is that most people who become disabled don't know that it's happening. So I really urge everyone, whether you have cancer or a genetic disability or anything in your family history, to Think of saving money as empowering yourself and giving yourself options in case bad health outcomes come your way because that stuff is not altogether unlikely. You know, we plan for these like crazy financial black swan events, but we don't plan for very common occurrences like disability or divorce or, you know, right now, there aren't very many people talking about climate change. Like these are all things that are likely and and that should be a driving factor for all of us in saving money.
4: You talk about in one of your posts, Tanya, the specific feelings of powerlessness while watching your father.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Was that a major driver in retiring early for you?
1: It for sure was, although it's interesting how it took me several years to get to that point. When I was at home in middle school and high school watching him, wish he could be working, wish he could be contributing, that all made a big impression. But then I went off to college and I kind of had my 20s and I thought like, wow, I have money for the first time. I'm going to have some fun. And it took a little while to come back and go like, oh, wait a minute, the clock is ticking. I may not actually have all that much time. He was only 41 when he stopped working and his disability was already quite progressed at that point. So I think around the time I hit 30 was when I started to say, hmm, okay, I might need to actually think about this differently and recognize that this could be coming my way too. So yeah, it was highly influential, but I, I don't want to claim that it was completely linear. I still had my youthful indiscretion years too.
4: So Dragon Gal, was there any guilt involved when you decided to retire early, seeing that Dragon Guy, at least for the time being, needed to stay in his job? Sure, yeah.
0: there was. De- there's definitely guilt and and there's guilt now you know um there continues to be because i mean there's an uneven nature to our relationship now um transitioning into my early retirement you know he's going off to work you know he's looking a little stressed he's looking a little frustrated and i'm totally relaxed you know and when he comes home i'm just chilling out you know reading books and he's (laughs) you know, you know, talking about these meetings, he was forced to attend. So guilt is definitely an aspect of, you know, when one spouse retires early and the other doesn't.
4: Dragging guy from the other side of that. uh, How do you kind of deal with those feelings of boy, I wish I was home and had more time to do the things I want to do. But knowing that for you, at least at this point, that being employed is real helpful.
3: I think that feeling actually has pushed me to try to figure things out faster for myself. I think the old me and maybe not seeing how Dragon Gal has sort of enjoyed life would have just said, I'm going to work because I need the insurance. And some years, 5, 10, 15, 20, someone will figure out the insurance situation here. But I think just watching her be relaxed, seeing the things she's doing in her free time, it it made me want it more. And it's made me more determined to do the research, crunch the numbers, just start thinking more about all the situations where I could make it work. You know, what could we cut back financially to make it work? How do I still stay in the best health so that we can all make it work? So I think in a weird way, it's motivated me as opposed to, you know, sort of discouraged me.
4: This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, that's dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Tanya, when we look at the people listening to this podcast, we've now heard two different scenarios. One scenario where retiring early was best for you and fulfilled your needs. Another scenario where Dragon Guy probably feels like at the moment he can't leave his profession. What's the message we're sending out to the people listening to the podcast? Is it possible to retire early with physical ailments, with physical concerns?
1: Yeah, I think the unfortunate truth is that there isn't an easy answer for this, at least not right now, even with the Affordable Care Act giving us a lot of really important patient protections and especially giving early retirees some level of at least short-term certainty that we we didn't used to have because there didn't used to actually be any guarantee of being able to buy health insurance outside of employment. And those are all really good things, but those could also go away very quickly. You know, experts at this point say that, major parts of the Affordable Care Act are probably here to stay at this point, And we see that, for example, in 2019, rates are actually going down, not up for the first time, which is a hugely positive development. There's still so much political stuff happening that could affect all of us. So I think it's really about weighing your own circumstances and the likelihood of, of things happening in your life against all of the risks that are out there. And I think also remembering that there's no such thing as a risk-free life. You know, we like to talk about investing being better than putting money in a savings account. The savings account feels like the safe option. It feels like the place where you can guarantee that your money doesn't go away. But it's also actually a guarantee that you're going to lose spending power because it doesn't keep up with inflation. And you have to make a similar calculation with work. Yes, work gives you health insurance. And for a lot of people, that's super important. I hear from readers regularly who say... I have a child with type 1 diabetes and I'm going to keep working because I want to make sure that they have good quality care and I respect that. But it's a question of, do you want to take on potentially the risk of navigating the healthcare system and having higher healthcare costs when you're going it alone without an employer? Or do you want to risk spending all your good years at the office? That's, I think, a decision that everyone has to make for him or herself.
3: I think I'm going to add, I think that's really what I've been thinking about more is that sort of pushing myself to that. I've got to make these hard decisions. and. Really trust that you know, even if I do leave my job, I can either financially make it work or trust whatever care I can find, you know, will be the right thing. But that, you know, I'm 41 and I have a long life ahead. That ultimately, that that's where I want to be is to not be, you know, tied to my job and, you know, really just make those hard decisions and hopefully sooner than rather than later.
2: Yeah, that strikes me as a. Th- this is a smart community, and while we have known sets of equations that we use for. Those of us who assume that we're going to be healthy until a much older age, when maybe in the at least in the U.S. Medicare kicks in, it seems like there is a potential for using the spreadsheet mastery that we all like to play in to just change the equation. I say just, but it's I think the equation isn't as simple. I feel like, I Reckon Guy, this might be something you're going through: is you're playing that calculation of how far do I need to go in my, in my earning, in my investing to where I feel comfortable enough, where I can so-called self-insure knowing that my, just my expense compared to the average person that doesn't have the condition that you're having to deal with is having to, you know, you're having to factor that, that additional factor in and that can't be bounded. That's probably the, 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 challenge. Whereas we feel like we can, we can bound our expenses. Is that yeah. an equation that you've, you've tried to work out?
3: I have, I've, I've sort of looked at, you know, where we are now with our spend, you know, doing the math on what the marketplace plans would share at the, you know, the worst case scenarios and figuring out and, you know, seeing if we're there, but obviously there's unknowns on what the costs may do. There's unknowns with the premiums. And then of course, you know, we've been in a bear a bull market for a decade. So there's the unknown of when that nice line that's above our costs right now, you know, starts to dip. And so there, there's definitely some constraints in that, but it's just more my nature and, you know, doing forecasting and budgeting with my work is just, you know, to keep chipping away at it, nodding, you know, like, you know, just figuring out like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? So I'm going through a lot of what if scenarios now and thinking about ways that can work. And even if I do get to that perfect answer, it still may take me months to get comfortable with, okay, now it's time to pull the trigger yeah, a lot of that, it's all math now. But again, there's a lot of unknowns with that math.
4: So Tanya, as he's saying this, I'm wondering about what type of modeling you did in your financial independence planning that was in addition to the typical things we do. How did you model your healthcare costs above and beyond just basic insurance? Was, Was there an X factor that you added just in case?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really hard question because, again, there are so many unknowns, but we know that right now healthcare for most people is going up by about three times the rate of inflation. Inflation hovers at 2 to 3%. For most people, healthcare is going up 8 to 10% a year, but there are cases, especially folks who earn too much to get any sort of subsidy assistance with exchange plans where they're in, in some states their costs are going up almost 20% a year. We happen to live in California where the the rate of increase is a little bit slower because we have a healthier population. We also have a different policy environment from a lot of states. But what we did is we modeled a 10% increase of healthcare costs year over year until Medicare. And I think also this is an important thing to know. Medicare does not cover everything. (laughs) Medicare covers disappointingly little and most people dramatically under budget for their healthcare costs in traditional retirement. At this point, which for many early retirees, it's going to increase dramatically before we all get to age sixty five. But right now the average average medicare recipient still spends about $300,000 in out-of-pocket costs between when they get on medicare and the end of their life. So we we built some of that in as well. We also I think this is a big thing is we built in some very large contingencies. So for example, our house right now is bigger than we need and we could downsize it to free up capital. We could sell it entirely to free up a lot more capital. We could sell our rental property to get some money. We could live in an RV to save even more. You know, we just we have all these different ways that we could uh, cut back our spending and also free up money to to be able to afford additional costs. And we've we've also researched going abroad, doing healthcare tourism fairly extensively. That's not good for emergency care, but if you have a chronic condition you're managing long-term, it might be a good option to move somewhere where healthcare costs a lot less than it does in the U.S. I, I don't think that that's a good plan A for anyone, but it's good to know what those options are in case really things get bad. Those are some of the ways that we've built it in, but I think it still feels like we're kind of rolling the dice and just really, hoping for the best. You know, if the ACA goes away and we're suddenly unable to buy insurance at all, I think that would be something very different that we'd have to tackle. And and then I think that would require a whole new set of research. But we've tried to build in enough flexibility in our finances that if it goes away, if we're looking at catastrophic care, if we're looking at paying out of pocket for everything, that we're not completely out of options.
4: This idea of rolling the dice is interesting because I think that anyone going towards financial independence already has that feeling. So already we're just worried about the basic finances and will it work? You have the added issue of worrying about rolling the dice with health. I wanted to push over to Dragon Gal. This whole idea of contingencies—is that something you kind of daydream about? Of all the different contingencies in case you end up having more healthcare associated costs?
0: Um. So I'm not. I, hmm, I'm not really the planner. I guess, in, in, in the couple, I'm gonna be honest. That's gonna be dragon guy, you know? So, um, and in some ways that's brought a lot of stress for me. You know, um, when he was diagnosed with leukemia, I felt like my life was totally out of control, you know? And um, it's taken me a long time, kind of mentally and emotionally, to get to a place where I can understand what I can control and what I can't control. We have been running a, a lot of different scenarios But um, I I think sometimes we just have to go with faith a little bit, you know, um, and just take it moment by moment. You know, certainly that's what, when we talked to um, D-Guy's oncologist this past visit, he said, you know, we brought up the fact that D-Guy's thinking of retiring early and the oncologist kind of just blew us off. Okay, well, come talk to me when it happens. You know, (laughs) we we were coming across telling him like, no, we want to plan ahead. We want to think about this. You know, um, what could we do? Do we see other oncologists? Uh, you know, how many te- lab tests does he need? <laughs> Tell me when it happens. You know, so if he's not worried, I mean, I'm starting to wonder if we should worry as much. I don't know. There, ha- there needs to be a little bit of a balance, I guess. I,
4: I love this question about control because I think in both spheres, finances as well as healthcare, we all strive for control. And it's something I think we all trip over at times. Dragon Guy, I want to come back to you. Does pursuing financial independence make you feel more in control of your life or less in control?
3: Definitely more in control. I think until we learned what the term meant and how the math worked, I really didn't know much about it. I didn't think about what was needed, You know how much money we needed to retire. It was just like, well, we're saving aggressively. We're spending less than we earn we have money in our portfolio, great, but I really didn't have any control over it. I didn't know what we spent money on, but now it's been the complete opposite. Now that I understand it and want to preserve it, you know, we track our spending you know, aggressively. Um, I have all the models now to figure out, what, all the models to think about, you know, how to think about what our numbers will look like going forward. So um, if anything, it's brought more control into my life from a financial standpoint, now that I understand what it is and what I need to do to make sure we stay there.
4: Tanya, I'd ask you the same question. Has retiring early brought more control to your life or less control
1: to your life? It's an interesting question. I I think... To be honest, I would say it's not much different if you just think about it in terms of working versus non-working. I do think I got the biggest boost in the sense of control after we had saved probably three or four years of living expenses. And we knew that if we had to quit or if we got laid off, that we'd be fine for an extended period. To me, that was where the greater sense of control came, not even achieving full financial independence. So I think you can achieve partial FI and get a lot of that sense of power, that sense of having options or not being uh, boxed into a corner by by money. But yeah, beyond that, it's it sort of goes both ways. Like in some ways, not working makes me feel more in control of my time, certainly, but less in control of what happens with healthcare. And work was pretty much the exact opposite.
2: That's interesting too, because that I find myself in this kind of nebulous, kind of re- retired, kind of not retired, because I'm still earning money in my air quote retirement. And so I have the question to the panel post early retirement, two of the three of you are currently early retired and one of you is considering it. Are there plans, are there considerations for earning money between now and and when you are older and and you physically cannot, um, whether that is soon or uh, the more traditional age of 60 to 70 years old, that's when you actually stop thinking about earning money, but you kind of supplement your earning by fun activities between now and then. Tanya, do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, we built our plan on the assumption that we would never have to earn another dollar and we'd be okay. So I'm sure by lots of people's estimations, we oversaved. For us, that feels like exactly the right thing to do. We don't feel like we oversaved. But that said, we have definitely earned some money this year that we did not expect to earn. I got the opportunity to write a book, which has been a lifelong dream. And so that was an easy thing to say yes to. I would love to write more books. I love speaking about different aspects of financial independence and sometimes that can pay. I really just want to do it because I love speaking and I, I like the idea of getting to travel to fun places. So if people want to pay me and fly me somewhere, I will say yes very quickly. Um, but those don't feel like work the way that other projects would. So yeah, I, I think it is a case of there is a lot of money to be made that is easier to get when you don't need it, which is an unfortunate thing for our society, but it's been favorable in our case. So I, I think we probably will have things like that that earn us some money here and there, and we are certainly not going to turn it down.
4: Dragon Gale, any thoughts of, you know, any side hustles or going back to work at some point?
0: I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go back full-time, at least not as an educator. So um, I have had the opportunity to, to go back part-time, which I did do as a teacher, and and it was okay. You know, I don't think that I might do it again just because I just value my freedom too much. So currently, in terms of side hustles, I, I will not be breaking 5,000 this year, you know, and that's considering the part-time job that I took and I do a little tutoring, but it's, I'm not making that much.
4: All right. And Dragon Guy, do you think even after you retire, do you think you'll be making money at some point? Right now, I don't have any plans to.
3: Um, In fact, you know, just as I've dug more into the Affordable Care Act and the subsidies, I've actually looked at ways to make sure we keep our income as low as possible to make some of those costs, you know, lower. But, my goal right now is when I do retire is to not work. I mean, obviously, as we all see that things change, but I have no desire right now, no plans to, I don't see myself starting a business on my own. You know, we haven't, we're not talking about monetizing our blog or anything. So I think for now it's really just not focusing on working and enjoying life.
2: And so that brings us to the summary of the episode and this conversation. And it's what I largely expected is that there aren't clean answers yet. And so it was less of a question of can we solve for this problem today, but it was how does it influence our path to financial independence? Uh, I would like to get any last thoughts from any of the guests on that. And do you feel like there is more to be said? Is there something more that the community can be doing to help guide the listeners on their path that might be influenced by their physical health. Because while we're talking about specific cases where you guys are going through known events, all of us will have something to deal with sooner or later. And it might be sooner than we think. And this kind of goes back to this risk management discussion that what is left to say that could help influence or guide our audience?
1: I think the the thing that I would really like to leave everyone with is that, like you said, Paul, healthcare is something that affects all of us. We will all have something happen at some point if we are lucky enough to live long lives. And so the best case scenario is that you'll live a long time and you'll deal with things. I think it's been a little disheartening to me when I have talked to groups who are into financial independence about healthcare and have heard the kinds of questions that folks ask. There are certainly those who are looking into it, but I find that a lot of folks sort of know like, okay, healthcare is this big scary thing. I should know about it, but I'm going to think about that later. And I get a vibe of kind of burying heads in the sand a little bit or saying things like, well, if I just exercise and eat healthily, I can control everything. And those of us who have chronic health problems know that that is not true. And so I really encourage people to look into some of this stuff. I have some resources on Our Next Life to try to break it down and make it less scary, but it's worth knowing, you know, looking at some of the calculators that are out there right now, look at what your health insurance would cost on the marketplace today. Projecting some inflation on top of that is, is a good first step, but that's something that a lot of folks aren't even doing or they aren't looking at what the options are or they're just assuming like, okay, I'll well, just do a health share, which is a religious sort of health insurance-like program that's not actually health insurance and saying, okay, I'll just do that because I'm healthy and those are cheaper. Or I'll do a high deductible plan because those comes come with a health savings account in HSA that people have said is really great for tax avoidance purposes. And they don't actually look at some of the implications of those things. And so I I really encourage folks, look into healthcare the same way that you look at your investments, the way that you investigate index funds or the fees that are on your various investments. And don't bury your head in the sand. Don't assume everything's going to be okay because it most likely will, but you want to be prepared in case it's not.
4: So guy, this idea of if I just exercise, everything will be okay. Is there anything you could have done not to get CMO?
1: I
3: don't know for sure, but, you know, that's a very good kind of, you know, thought because for me growing up, exercise was the thing that I focused on, but I was really missing out on the rest of the health portfolio, which is, you know, eating healthy, getting a lot of sleep and yeah, yeah, and good mental space too. Um, So I think if I was more diversified in all of those as one, you know, getting enough sleep, eating healthy, exercising and had good mental space, Things may have been different, but you know, what's happened, happened. So I can only look forward and try to kind of have, make sure, make sure all of those are, you know, kind of all, all balanced appropriately. Eating has been the biggest thing that I had to change. Um, You know, growing up, I was, uh, I don't eat vegetables and now I'll eat all the vegetables pretty much out there. And I just had to learn over time that, you know, I have cancer. I have to think about all of me and, you know, not just one aspect of staying healthy. I have to think of all the different ways to stay healthy.
4: Just as as a medical physician who deals with these type of diseases all the time, let me assure you that there is nothing you probably could have done not to get CML. There's no bit of I have plenty of patients who exercise all day long, who eat incredibly healthy, and they still get cancers. They still end up with medical problems, that doesn't mean that exercising and eating well aren't important. As with everything else, we only have a certain amount of control.
3: One thing I, I never looked back and wondered why. I never said to myself, why me? What did I do differently? I just said, you know, I have this and I'm going to go fight it going forward and be healthy going forward. So fortunately, I never, you know, dwelt on the, what, what I could have done differently and just said, this is what I'm dealt with and figure out how to, how to attack it going forward.
2: Well, I think that's a perfect conclusion to this conversation. Tanya, what's up next for you and where can people find you on the internet?
1: Up next for me is my book, Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way is coming out in March, 2019. And you can find me at ournextlife.com or on Twitter at our underscore next life.
2: Dragon Gal and Dragon Guy, what is up next for you guys? And where can the listeners find you?
0: So um, I am currently working on... Um, starting a support group for um, young adult cancer survivors and caregivers um, for helping people create healthy habits um, as they move forward in their cancer journey. Um, And I'm doing that in partnership with the local nonprofit cancer um, organization that I volunteer with. Um, And I hope to launch that in 2019 and please um, read on our blog for updates.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, continue doing the math and figuring out what's next in my life with my healthcare and insurance costs. Um, you know, every day goes by where I get closer and closer to just realizing life's too short to stay behind the computer desk. So um, hopefully I'll get to a, a good point in the next several months or a year or two to where I really can, you know, pull the trigger and, you know, pursue early retirement. Um, but until then, you know, I hope you all will follow our story at the dragonsonfire.com. Or at on Twitter at dragon Guy and gal
4: so you know it was really interesting this conversation. One thing that I gleaned from it was that those of us who consider ourselves in good health when we pursue financial independence, we spend a lot of time and energy worrying about financial independence, worrying about sequence returns risk, worrying about having enough money with our guests today, the Dragons and Tanya not only did they have to worry about their financial independence plan being airtight, they also had to worry about their health. And the problem with health is it's not nearly as predictable as our finances. So we can mathematically model what's going to happen over the next 10 years, what the likelihood of sequence of returns risk is, what a safe withdrawal rate should be. Those are all things that we can mathematically calculate. Our, Our calculations May not be perfect, but it gives us a framework to be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to health, we just don't know what could happen over the next 10 years. And this is not just for the dragons and Tanya, this is for all of us. But unfortunately, they've had to face this issue much earlier than the rest
2: of us. Right.
4: So knowing that they had these illnesses meant that they had to actually create mathematical models they had to understand the cost of their illness the cost of blood tests and insurance and so it was a whole secondary concern a whole secondary process for them to think about their finances in the future and i imagine that it's quite stressful but then tanya also brought it back and said hey the you know the rest of the world who's pursuing financial independence doesn't really think much about healthcare yeah they might think about how am i going to have healthcare coverage uh, but they don't realize that just like with your finances, you can have black swan events that with your health care, you can have black swan events and you can become ill yourself. You can have accidents. Your health care costs may not be what you thought they would be. So one of the big take homes is that the rest of us, maybe we have to wake up and start doing some of these financial calculations about our health care alongside and in parallel to the same discussions we're having about financial independence in our finances. What, what do you think?
2: Well, I, I like that because it's with the right calculations financially, you, you may or may not hit a black swan event, but with your health, it, the, the fact that we're going to all have declining health, barring some really uh, significant advancement in, te- in medical te- te- technology that I don't think is going to come, is we're all going to have declining health in our cost of of our healthcare is going to increase over time. That's just a function of getting older. And then how does your insurance play into that and how much of it is, are you going to pay for yourself? Is it going to be subsidized by the government? Is it going to be covered by insurance? Man, it's just, it's an uncertainty that I don't have good numbers to plug in right now. And that's one of the great, benefits of the ACA that, that I've, that supplies to me personally is I, I felt much more comfortable not having a traditional day job so that I could go out and get health insurance through the, the local exchange because there's no idea. There's not this concept of preexisting conditions any longer, but the big question is how long will that last? And, and Tanya is very plugged into this stuff and she she seems to believe that based on the pun that she follows that most of the ACA is here to stay, but is that going to be the pre-existing condition? Uh, there is some concern that she brought up at the talk she did at Camp 5 Midwest about this concern of pre-existing condition. And if you have a gap in coverage like what I have, I have a health, I'm currently on on Liberty Health Share, and this, it's November now and it's time to start reconsidering what I'm doing for 2019 And based on what she said, I am probably going to switch to an exchange, which is probably going to cost more because I am concerned about this pre-existing condition gap that might influence me later on with legislation change down the road.
4: Yeah, And I think people don't realize, many in our community don't even realize that actually if you have low income, so if you have retired early and have a very low income, whether you're wealthy or not you actually can get huge ACA subsidies. Right. So Healthcare for someone with no income is actually very, very affordable. Um, and I think most people don't realize that. The other thing they don't realize is that the health shares are a great opportunity for most of us, but it is not technically health insurance. And right. because it's not health insurance, it doesn't necessarily have the management through the government. It doesn't have all the rules and requirements of compliance. And so that leaves things occasionally unknown. So would your average person be fine with a health share? Probably. Uh, But as the politics change and as the legislation changes, we just don't know how that's going to affect people. When you take all that into light, it's amazing that Tanya has retired early and that the Dragon's are still talking about a way for Mr. Dragon eventually to leave his job. So I think it's incredibly brave, but I think we'd be silly to just say it's them being brave. Clearly, they've put a huge amount of thought into how to make it work. And for Mr. Dragon, amazingly, not only does he have to worry about what happens if his health deteriorates, but actually, his health improving may cost him more down the road because he might need more surveillance blood tests. He might they need more. They
2: aren't covered as much, right?
4: Yeah, more doctors' visits, etc. So it's an incredibly complex equation, and yet I wasn't hearing in any of their voices that it's impossible. Did you get that feeling too after listening to them? Did you feel like it was still quite possible for uh, someone with chronic illness?
2: Yeah, at least in Mister Dragon's case, it was he. He he is seriously considering because he's a numbers guy, so he's he's used to running those numbers, and he and I feel like as a community we have a lot of people who can run numbers really well, and that's one thing that I would look forward to seeing from the community is factoring in some of these projected growth in healthcare and doing some of this modeling from from people who go to the great depths that we know some of our community can do. And what is the greater equation here? And without short of having that right now, the the sense that I got from the guests were, yes, it's more to consider and we're having to consider it early earlier than, than to say the average person, but it's still something that we're, we're comfortable with and we have sufficiently and saved and invested and we feel like it's worth at least in Tanya's case, was worth taking taking the step out, and Mr. Dragon was seriously considering doing so, or is considering doing so because life is not about working, and there and it's this whole idea of he can go back and get a job at some point if he if his health is in good enough condition, but he the costs are too high, and. There's other things to do besides just working the job he has right now. I, I hate that feeling that that we get trapped into. Is the whole point of this movement is to not be feel trapped in a job, and in the fact that your physical conditions that um, could contribute to that is something that I feel like we don't have a clean answer for yet. But is something that w- with further investigation we could potentially get cleaner answers from from the community.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's certainly the unknown. And because it's the unknown, um, all three guests, I think, would clearly say, if you're worried about it, stay in a job, yeah. get health care insurance, or find a job that fills your soul a little more than your current, right. but that also provides health care. So maybe you don't have to do that stressful eight in the morning to six at night job six days a week. Uh, maybe you can go work at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or find something that is less stressful, but at least provides you that backbone of healthcare insurance. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's very reasonable. And I don't think either, any of us would begrudge someone for doing that.
2: You know, one thing we didn't talk about too much was this idea of medical tourism or geo arbitrage uh, that there, depending on your condition um, or depending on your health might be a very viable option. I don't think it was for the Dragons because uh, his his the health care that he needed is something that was better suited in the u.s but for a lot of us that is a real possibility provided you're willing to separate yourself from your whoever you've surrounded yourself locally as one of the previous episodes is nobody wanted to move even though they lived in high-income areas because um <laughs> they, they were around their their people so it's kind of the, the fun equation or the fun uh, possibility you get to play with because to me that's i That appeals to me, this idea of moving someplace else. So maybe that might be something we talk about someday.
4: So when it comes down to the question of how does physical health affect financial independence, the answer is it's complicated. We haven't answered the question, but I hope that we've brought some clarity and at least showed how three individuals are going about it. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of me, Doc G, and Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Dragon Guy, Dragon Gal, and Tanya for being our guests, and that's a wrap.
0: Oops, sorry. Thedragonsonfire.com.
2: <laughs> See, blooper rule. Blooper
0: number one.
2: <laughs> Dragon Gal and Dragon Guy from... Oh, I forgot your blog name. Uh...
3: Dragons on Fire. Dragons on Fire.
2: Three, two, one. From the oh, I, I already got it. I'm gonna write down. I've. I'm gonna fire my friend.
3: We have two cats at home, and they tend to when they hear us on conference calls, join us. So we
2: <laughs> Just part of it. I
3: apologize.
2: Well, I I have kids, and they come home from school, and they're like, "Be quiet," and they would never get the message. So yeah, you know, Tanya, you're, you you want to go first? Well you gotta tell her yeah. what to say, Tanya. Our, <clears throat> um, I'll do it right this time. That's a wrap. I don't know. <laughs> we gotta find a way to close yes. the Wait, you.